Shabbat Shalom from Under the Dome. My name is Noel. This is the Unexpected Cosmology. And uh, welcome to my office. This is, I'm at the uh, the Marriott tonight. And testing this out, I might be choosing this room every Friday night. Uh, we have, my family, we have arrived to our winter destination. This is our ninth year coming down to Florida. And of course, you know, uh, controversy arrives with us when, you know, Ron DeSantis is all over the, <laughs> he's all over the news for wearing uh, high-heeled uh, cowboy boots, I guess. That's, uh, that probably won't age too well. But uh, anyways, I, uh, I have these paper cups tonight and I've had nothing but coffee problems. So I have these paper cups and they give me all these lids and the lids don't even fit on the paper cups. So I have all these lids and none of the lids fit on any of the paper. I don't know. It, it's madness. And I had to send for another coffee machine because the one they gave me didn't work. You know, Marriott hotel problems. But anyways, here we are. And I'm glad you guys can all be here with me and uh, joining. This is our fourth week going through the Torah portions. And these aren't, as you guys know, these aren't any Torah portions. These are the uh, Paleo Hebrew that we're going through. We're going through Pamela's translation. I will remind you that you can pick up your own uh, copy of the Paleo Hebrew, uh, Pamela's translation, in the store at Patreon. Now, I have a store on my website at this time. I'm not carrying yet at that website. I don't want to confuse you. When you go to Patreon, pick it up. If it's your Sabbath, please don't do it. Just, you know, wait till after Sabbath and you can have it ready for next week. All right. Now this is going to be this is one of those um those tour portions where like if i were if i were doing this for three consecutive years you know like i do it in 2024 2025 each presentation would be different it would be the same content but it would be completely different because there's so much here so i'm going to be talking about things tonight if i don't cover your favorites uh you know, the thing you're, you know, just know that maybe next year or the next year, you know how it goes. All right. All right. So this is, I don't even, this is where we left off. And if you recall last week, we left off with Abraham being circumcised and circ circumcising his whole family. And that will come a little bit into it tonight. All right. So here we go. <clears throat> Hold on, I need an, I need another drink of coffee. I can do this. And I should explain too quickly before we get into this. Some of you wondering why I'm in a hotel room, because I'm not living in a hotel room. I promise you that. I'm actually about a mile down the beach, and we're actually camped on the beach. But, you know, I've got uh, two wonderful sons and a beautiful daughter. And, um, you know, in a, we, we actually live in a camper because we enjoy our family. We like being close together but it's close together if you get my drift it's like you know you would see behind me i got i would have two children back here and a crying baby and a wife trying to hold the house together so i finally decided this year to get good quality uh streaming and and audio and so on just to come here and be with you guys you know as soon as i'm done i'm not even gonna spend the night here i'm just gonna sign out and you know go back to my uh my my glamping on the beach all right, so let's get into this. I'm trying to uh, get everything, get, get you guys all posted on here as you guys post. Thank you for uh, you know contributing, being active. Thank you for those of you who are here live to support this and being a part of the community. 
Alahayam appears a third time to Abraham. Now, keep in mind, too, we're going to be watching the play between Alahayam and Yahuwah tonight. Just keep a lookout for it. Yahuwah was again revealed to him at the oak woods of Mamre. Now, uh, I am of the opinion, I you know, this day and age, with all the things we talk about, I have to clarify this all the time. Uh, I believe I am under the impression that the modern state of Israel is the historical Yasharel. All right. Now, for those of you who subscribe to my magazine next month in December, the December issue, I have a very lovely, very well done article by a guest writer who's who uh, is pushing the point that Israel is not the historical land and that it's actually North America. Really interesting food for thought. Um, and I love you know thinking about the possibilities and looking at the different options. However, uh, I am convinced that uh, Sodom and Gomorrah is a big one. Uh, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, you can go there, you can see the whole region that was destroyed. We're going to be talking about that tonight. And inter interestingly enough, of course, you know, Israel is in the news right now for reasons that I would not want to go visit there. But if the occasion ever arose that I could go and visit there again, the oaks, uh, the oak woods of Mamre is a place, it's a plot of land in the middle of a city now. You can go there and visit it. And like nobody goes there. I mean, it's just like nobody cares about this place. But it is clearly like archaeologists have gone there and they've seen where this was what excited me. Uh, there were churches from the Middle Ages, right? Wink, wink. You guys know what that means. That was there over that site to commemorate it. And you could see where the actual oak tree stood and where Abraham built an altar and they had it all commemorated. And then for whatever reason, we don't know. That was one of the churches that was destroyed, one of the uh, Gothic cathedrals or whatever that was destroyed. Anyways, so uh, where were we? He's at the oak woods of uh, Mamre. According to the Aramaic Targum, he is still recovering from his circumcision. And that's really interesting here because we're seeing that he is entering a covenant with Yahuwah. And we're about to see uh, the destruction of people who are not in the covenant with him. So he's recovering from circumcision when he sat at the door of his tent in the heats of the day. Then he raised his eyes and looked and saw three men standing opposite to him. And he looked and called to them from the door of his tent and bowing to the ground said, uh, Adonai, if now I have found favor in your eyes, will you not come in to your servant? Take a little water and wash your feet and rest under the wood and take a bit of bread and refresh your heart and, um, and afterwards proceed. Perhaps it was for this you passed near your servants. And they replied, do as you have said. Abraham also ran to the fold. Let me make sure you guys can read that. Abraham also ran to the fold and took a fine fat calf and gave it to a youth who at once dressed it. Then he took cheese and milk and the calf which he had dressed and placed it before them. And he stood opposite them under the trees where they were eating. Now, the scene here is that he sees these three guys. So Abraham, the way I picture this is that he, of course, he's a prophet and he's on the on the road to Sodom and Gomorrah. Like people are coming in and out of this road through Sodom and Gomorrah. The whole the plane said he's there. He he's obviously next to the road where he sees travelers coming, and I think he was placed there to to minister to the people as they were coming and going. And, you know, he runs out, he, he tries, he's trying to lure these people in to be a host to them. And you think about this, it's not like he's just putting like hummus and pita bread in front of them. He's actually having a servant go and kill a calf. 
How long do you think that would take to go out there, kill a calf, and then dress it? Uh, the, the last Passover experience, uh, Pamela, who, who did this translation, she uh, was there with me as well as someone else from our group, Andrew. And we went out to a house where they uh, killed a lamb. And it took a long time to cook that thing. We weren't even there when he killed it and, you know, got it ready. So I'm thinking hours are going by that they're sitting around talking. And um, something I want to point out here is that this appears when he's bringing the bread before them. The idea that is being presented is that there is a covenant, something called a covenant of salt. Right. So uh, I've, I was asked this just recently. Someone asked me to do a study on this, on a covenant of salt. So. Briefly, the word salary actually comes from an ancient word meaning salt money, referring to a Roman soldier's allowance for the purchase of salt. So the very word salary tells us that, you know, salt comes into this. In fact, uh, someone who earns his pay is still said to be worth his salt, right? Uh, now, to this day, if you go to the Middle East, salt is used to express promises and friendship between people. So in Arabian cultures, if two men partake of salt together, they are actually sworn to protect one another. This is, this is a part of the idea of a, a covenant of salt. You make you actually put salt in like with bread and you put it out in front of someone. Even if they're enemies, even or formerly enemy, enemies, they now have to be in a covenant together of friendship. Uh, and so actually ingesting salt would actually be a an agreement that was legally binding. All right. So it, Abraham is trying to, it, we're going to see in here where he is trying to, um, you know, he's trying to sway Yahuwah from destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, right? He's actually trying to bring him into this, this binding relationship with him where he, you know, uh, this friendship, um, and he's not tricking anybody. I mean, Yahuwah and these two men are coming and they're agreeing. Yeah, we will sit and break bread with you. I mean, that's where it comes from. You've heard this so many times where it's like, you know, oh, like you were betrayed by a friend. And it's like, oh, we, we sat down and we broke bread together, right? It, it comes from that same sort of intimacy that would come from a salt covenant. Um, so here, let's look at a few scripture verses. Now, I'm not going to show you on the screen, but... I'm just going to read them for you here. Second Chronicles 13, 5. And it says, uh, don't you realize that Elohim, the one and only Elohim of Yasharel, established David and his sons and the permanent rulers of Yasharel, ratified by a covenant of salt. Elohim's kingdom ruled by Elohim's king. And then we read in the, we'll read later on in the year, we'll get more into the salt covenant, particularly in... Um, this comes from Leviticus 2.13, and uh, it talks about how with, within all grain offerings that you, you have to include salt within it. And this is what it says. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your Elohim be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. The, Le the Levitical priests as well were given a salt covenant in Numbers 18, 19. And this is what it says. Uh, All the heave offerings of the holy things, which the children of Yasharel offer unto Yahuwah, have I given thee and thy sons and thy daughters with thee by a statute forever. 
It is a covenant of salt. There it is. Forever before Yahuwah and to thee and to thy seed with thee. This is one of the important reasons as why it is so important that we come to his feast. We're going to be talking about a little bit what we'll mention in the Feast of Unleavened Bread tonight. And that is the whole idea of uh, the, the, the salt covenant that you are between you and your creator. You're coming together and you're coming into this covenant together. This is one of the reasons why you don't miss this, right? Really important. And then, of course, this is going to ring a bell for all of you. And Math, uh, Matthew, Yahoo, uh, Yahusha HaMashiach says, you are the salt of the earth. There it is. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. All right, so let's keep reading. And we're going to see the salt covenant happening again, really uh, important in Sodom. All right, um, so they, after, they afterwards asked him, where is Shar, Shar, uh, Sarah? Or Shar, I, can't, I can't ever do this, guys. Shar, Sharaha, Sharaha, your covenant woman. And he replied, she is in the tent. And there, there's a lot of rabbinical um, uh, commentary on this. I'm not going to get into that. But uh, why she was in the tent, why wasn't she out there? I mean, keep in mind, hours are going by. There's hours going by, and he's out there talking with them, and she never shows face. What's going on? That They then said, I will restore you as the period of youth. And there shall come a son from Sharaha, your woman. And Sharaha heard it at the door of the tent where she was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sharaha, here, let me lose this for you guys so you can actually see the. Um, Abraham and Sharaha were old, advanced in years. It was not with Sharaha as women were. So Sharaha laughed in her apartment saying, after I am wasted, will there be pleasure for me? Even when my Adon is old and keep in mind, Yitshak, uh, his name means laughter. So here she is laughing in a, in a, maybe a mocking way. I mean, she's like, she's not, she's clearly not believing uh, this, this uh, prophecy, this command that's coming forward. And so it's interesting. She named her child that Yahuwah consequently said to, Abraham, why did Sharaha laugh, saying, shall I suckle a child when I am old? Is it a too great thing for Yahuwah, the ever-living, to say, at such a time I will return to you the period of youth and give a son to Sharaha? But Sharaha denied, rep denied, replying, I did not laugh, obvious, ob an obvious lie, for she was afraid. And of course, the thing is, is that, guys, is that... Uh, I learned back in college in film class that comedy is the great tragedy. We usually think of uh, drama as like tragic, uh, but comedy is the great uh, uh, tragedy. In fact, it, much, much of the time when we laugh, it's based on fear. So it's really inter interesting to say that she was afraid. She laughed. There's a connection there. <clears throat> he, he, however, answered, yes, you did laugh. All right, so there's there's a lot going on here in this scene, and I want to talk about some of this. This is what I I believe what happened is a divine conception. All right, Yitzhak was 
divinely conceived. He did not come from fleshly seed. All right, so let's go through some of this evidence. There's a scene break between verse 9 and 10. And uh, Pamela doesn't put verses in here, but uh, in verse 9, it goes from they said to he said. And it, and it actually implies a change of scene. Some of the uh, rabbinical commentators will say with the Masoretic text that there's these, uh, these couple like dots in there. And whenever those are placed in there, it means uh, extreme hesitation. Like they, they actually, there are conversations out there. You can you know look at some of the more uh, honest conversation by some of the rabbinical communities. And they actually, some of them believe that there was a scene that was cut. That somebody actually took the scissors to a scene from from what's happening here, and so what they think is happening is that they were when they were looking for his wife, and she laughs in the tent. They then go into the tent, which is very provocative, and something happened in there. Uh, so. All three of the angels are talking with Abraham, and then only one of them announces uh, her pregnancy and the future birth of Yitzhak. And so the idea is in between these two speeches, you can divide them, and the angels entered the tent to be with Sarah. Now, what were they doing in there? Um, no, they weren't impregnating her. But they, they were doing something to her that they, they actually, I think they, they activated her womb. The process. I think that they made it, you know, possible for her to be with child. And I don't think she conceived that day. I think it probably happened within like three months or something like that. All right. So, um, all right. Let me see here. Um, all right. So let me let me take you through a few passages where I'm going to build this case, and I'm going to show you actually that I believe Paul. Uh, believed that uh, Yitzhak did not come from physically from Abraham. I'm going to show you the importance of why that is. But first, we're going to read from First Enoch chapter 106. So this is uh, the section in Enoch that is considered the missing book of Noah or the lost book of Noah, sections of it. And after some days, my son Methuselah, and this is, of course, uh, uh, okay, after some days, my son Methuselah, took a wife for his son, Limech, and she became pregnant by him and bore a son. And this son would, of course, be Noah. And his body was white as snow and red as the blooming of a rose. And the hair of his head and his long locks were white as wool and his eyes beautiful. And when he opened his eyes, he lighted up the whole house like the sun. And the whole house was very bright. I mean, imagine, you know, a, a baby coming out like a light bulb, right? And thereupon he arose in the hands of the midwife, opened his mouth and conversed with Yahuwah of righteousness. So he comes straight out and he's talking to Yahuwah. And his father Lamech was afraid of him and fled and came to his father Methuselah. And he said unto him, I have begotten a strange son, diverse from an unlike man and resembling the sons of the Elohim of heaven. And his nature is different and he is not like us. And his eyes are as the rays of the sun, and his countenance is glorious. And it seems to me that uh, he is not sprung from me, but from the angels. And I fear that in his days a wonder may be wrought on the earth. And now, my father, I am here to petition thee and implore thee 
that thou mayest go to Enoch, our father, and learn from him the truth for his dwelling place is amongst the angels. At this point, uh, Enoch is living in paradise. All right, now I'm going to read a small section from the what's called the Bereshith or the Genesis Apocryphon, and this was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. We're going to see the same story played out. Uh, then I same story. Then I considered whether the pregnancy. So this is again, uh, and uh, this is Lemek again. He's uh, he's contemplating why Noah is born like one of the angels. And then I considered whether the pregnancy was due to the watchers and holy ones. So he's he's thinking one of the watchers came and impregnated his wife, and that this is a, a repeated sin or should be ascribed to the Nephilim. And I grew perturbed, perturbed about this child. Then I, Limic, became afraid and went to Batnosh. Batnosh is the name of his wife, saying, declare to me by the Most High, by the, by the Adonai of greatness, by the eternal king, and the eternal king would be Yahuwah, whether the child comes from the heavenly beings. Everything will you... Everything will you truthfully tell me, whether you will tell me without lies. Is this by the eternal king until you speak truthful, truthfully to me and not with lies? Imagine like, like <laughs> a woman just goes through labor. She's got her baby. And then the husband comes in and he's like, don't lie to me, woman. <laughs> you know, I mean, just like she would not probably have a good response, right? Well, this is what she, how she responds. Then Batnash, my wife, spoke with me forcefully. So she's not responding well. She's like, are you serious? She wept and said, oh, my brother and master, recall for yourself my pregnancy, marital relations, and my breath within its sheath. So she's saying, recall when this baby was conceived, you were there for it. Uh, recall my, my breath. Can I truthfully tell you everything? Then I was perturbed even more. When Batnash, my wife, noticed that my face had changed its expression, then she gained control of her emotions and spoke with me. She said to me, oh, my master and brother, recall for yourself my pregnancy. I swear to you by the great holy one, by the ruler of heaven, that'd be Yahuwah, that this seed is yours, that this pregnancy is from you, that from you is the planting of this fruit and that it is not from an alien or from any of the watchers or from any heavenly being. Why has the appearance of your face changed like this upon you? Now this goes on and on and on. I actually wanted to um, quote from the gospel of Yaakov where the same scene comes when Yosef returns home and he sees the Virgin uh, Miriam and she's pregnant. He's like, what? And he immediately talks about these uh, the serpents in the world uh, in the garden that deceived Eve and the watchers, and he believed that it happened again to his wife. Um, but point taken. The idea is is that the 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 ancients had this idea, right? That that the angels can really come down these watchers and impregnate women, and so that's the tension we're seeing in this scene with the three angels, one of which from a straightforward reading is Yahuwah, who I believe is Yahusha HaMashiach. It makes a lot of sense, right? Because in, in the Masoretic, when it says uh, Yahuwah, people have to go, well, it's not really the father. It's 
you know, it's it, it's Jesus or Yeshua or whatever. He's coming out as a representative. And it's like, no, he's not a representative. He's just a representative of himself. He's Yahweh. It makes total sense. It's not uh, it's not uh, Allah Hayim that came down. It's just the son, Yahweh, came down. So this is how Philo of Alexandria uh, described this scene. Really interesting. And people will talk about how Paul uh, was heavily influenced from Philo. So look at this. He writes in his book, Allegorical Laws. When happiness, that is Yitshak, was born, she says in the pious exaltation, Yahuwah has caused me laughter, and whoever shall hear of it shall rejoice with me. Open your, your ears, therefore, O ye initiated, and receive the most sacred mysteries. So he's telling you that what he's about to say is of the most, like, you have to be, like, he says initiated, right? So obviously he was initiated. He's like, like we're, we're talking with the most mature people here. Like you need to be able to handle what I'm about to say because this is one of the mysteries of heaven that I'm about to tell you. Uh, he says, laughter is joy and the expression has caused is equivalent to has begotten. So that what is here said has set some such meaning as this. Yahuwah, Yahuwah has begotten Yitchak. All right. He says this again in the in another book on the cherubs. This is what he says. And I will bring forward as a competent witness and proof of what I have said, the most holy Moshe, for he introduces uh, Sarah as conceiving a son when Elohim beheld her by himself. Right. So this is Yahuwah. He goes into the tent and he has a private audience with her. But he represents her as bringing forth her son, not to him who beheld her then, but to him who was eager to attain to wisdom, and his name is called Abraham. So he, what he's saying is that Yahuwah brought forth a son for Abraham, all right? Now, uh, here's an interesting one I found before I get to Paul. Here's an interesting passage from the writings of Abraham, and this talks about the scene we're uh, looking at on the divine conception. This comes from chapter 112, and I'm sorry I'm not showing you all this. Um, um, I still have it on the, um, the paleo text. And Yahuwah appeared unto me in the plains of Mamre, same scene, and he said unto me, Behold, uh, Ishmael shall not be thine heir, neither Eliezer, for Sarah will I bless, and I will give thee a son of her. She shall be the mother of nations and kings and people shall be of her. Then I fell upon my face before Yahuwah and I rejoiced and I said unto him, O Adonai, it is a wondrous thing that this promise should be fulfilled when I am a hundred years old and Sarah is 90. Now here it is, pay attention. And Yahuwah said, prepare thine heart to receive it. And he told me many secret things concerning the conception of the child, which are great mysteries to the unenlightened, but the elect shall know them, and I rejoice therein. It doesn't really tell you, but it tells you that there's something more than meets the eye happening here, all right? This is not a normal conception through Abraham. All right, now let's get to Paul. This is what he says in Galatians 3, 7. Therefore know that those only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And this is what he says in chapter 4, verses 22 through 23. It is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and the other by a free woman. 
One, the child of the slave was born according to the flesh. Say what? So the first son, Yishmael, was born according to the flesh. The other child, the child of the free woman, was born through the promise, not of the flesh. It's born through the promise. All right. Um, all right. So the idea here is that um, Yahuwah wanted to do something that was way beyond. Um, I mean, he, we, we saw last week where he cut the covenant with Abraham and Abraham was in a dream. He was having a vision. There was he would typically Abraham would walk through the, the cut animal with him. Right. But Yahuwah is like, no, 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 no. I'm doing this. I'm doing all of this to the very end. And this is why I think it, I, I see it now where it's so important to understand that uh, Yahuwah is Yahushua HaMashiach. That he came, he fulfilled everything to the very end, to the, to the point of death on the cross. He did it all. He went into Sheol. He freed everything. He did everything. Um, you know, and so here we see the same thing where he's like, I'm going to make a great nation, but it's going to be a spiritual nation. All right. This is one of the reasons. That, and so if you are, if you consider your Abraham a father, it's because he's a spiritual father. You have been grafted into the family of Abraham. We see the criticism. I've quoted from it often in, in the gospel of Yochanan, where he's looking at the Pharisees and he's like, yeah, you guys say you're the, the, the children of Abraham physically. Yeah, you, that's fine. You speak right, but you're actually the sons of Satan, right? Just because you're a physical seed, like uh, like uh, Yishmael does not mean that you're the spiritual seed. This is where circumcision comes in. Uh, this is, oh, let's see, I have uh, some scripture. I'll get to that later, I think. I'm going to talk about uh, the importance of having the circumcised heart, that the, the physical flesh is a sign of the covenant, right? It's a sign and it's important, but you can have the sign of the covenant and actually not be in the covenant. You cannot have a circumcised heart. This is why the difference between Yishmael and Yitzhak. Yishmael never entered the covenant. He always had a hard heart. He never he was circumcised, but he was he never had the heart for it. And Yitzhak did. And we're going to see all that tonight. All right. The doom of, of Sodom. I like how I like how she spells it Saddam, like Saddam Hussein. The doom of Saddam. The man Hold on, I need more coffee. Hope you guys are enjoying this. So, oh yeah, let me just sum this up really quickly. The, the idea is with like Noah and Yitzhak is that I believe that there were times in history when Yahuwah needed to, or you say Allah Hayam, his father, needed to set the ship on the right course right? Like it would keep veering off. You know, we all oh, look at all the Nephilim, you know, and, and look at all the rebellion over here, Tower of Babel and all these things. And he's like, all right, I need to set humanity on the right course. So he would actually bring down, um, you know, he, like there's something about Noah that he, he was angelic. He was like an angelic being, a pre-existent angelic being that came down. And the same thing with Yitzhak, that he was, you know, he was a, he was a special creation, just like Adam, he was a special creation, as was his wife, uh, Hava or Chua, uh, and you know there were humans before them, but 
he came at a certain point in history, he created something special to get, we see these reset events and recreation events. And, you know, when you go into pre-existence and I talked about uh, how uh, Yaakov, uh, James, how he was addressed by Yahusha as he said, heaven and earth came into existence because of him. And you're like, well, wait, what, what do you mean? Because heaven and earth pre-existed Yaakov or did it? You see what I'm saying? So you have these very righteous pre-existent people in heaven. And for whatever reason, at different points, he, he brings them down to the earth. Just like when Yahushua HaMashiach came, he was pre-existent. He came at an appointed time to, to get the, the ship on the right course, right? The men departed from there and faced towards Saddam. And Abraham walked with them to converse. Then Yahuwah said, shall I conceal from Abraham what I'm about to do? When Abraham is to become a great and mighty nation and every nation of earth to be Barak through him. For I have instructed him in order that he may command his sons and the sons of his house after him, that they must keep to the way of Yahuwah, the ever living and do right and justice so that Yahuwah, the ever living may cause to come upon Abraham what he has promised to him. Isn't that like so exciting when you're, you're, you're recognizing that this isn't the father walking with it. This is Yahushua HaMashiach. And again, again, like it's one of those things. Most people will say that even Christians, they'll say, yeah, this was Jesus here. Well, but then you have to jump through these hoops and you have to say, well, he's not really Yahuwah because that's the father. So he's just like represent. It's like, no, no, just a, even the rabbinical the rabbinical Jewish community who they don't recognize Yahushua HaMashiach, which is the reason, the whole reason as to why they're condemned, right? Because they reject the, the son whom they claim they're worshiping, Yahuwah, right? You see how that works? Well, even they say a straightforward reading here that this is Yahuwah, like in, in the flesh, on the earth. And it, that's such a strange thought if it's the father. It doesn't, doesn't really compute it. This makes a lot more sense to me. So Yahuwah continued, Saddam and uh, Gomorrah, but uh, Amaraha for Gomorrah, uh, they shriek for their sins are many and are very grievous. Now, this idea of shrieking, okay, I'm not going to go, this is something like, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on Sodom and Gomorrah tonight, maybe next year if we do this again. Um, and I could go take you through, it would take you all like an hour to read through the whole Jasher passage on all the sins of Sodom. But as, as many of you know, within the Christian community, we always come down to this idea that it's, you know, homosexuality that cre uh, created this. Actually, that's not actually what happened. Uh, what the, re the idea is, is that homosexuals aren't shrieking to heaven, right? They're not, they're not crying out to heaven. The shrieking is injustice, okay? And um, so the idea is, is that even though homosexuality is an abomination, if you're living down the streets from a, you know, a men's strip club or whatever, it's like down around the corner, like that's, you know, that, that's not preferable, of course, but that's not what they're talking about, about Sodom and Gomorrah here. The idea is, is that Sodom and Gomorrah had just summing up the Jasher account had gotten to a point where they 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 passed these laws that if you were trying to obey the Torah, Yahuwah's instructions and in righteous living, you would actually have to disobey the laws of the land. They made it where it was illegal to live a righteous life. 
And to uh, the the best, some of the best examples that I can start thinking of in modern terms of where we're getting into that sort of Sodom and Gomorrah mindset is in a 1984 society. If you look over to Britain right now, I mean, it's it's wild how socialist they truly are. You know, you've probably seen the footage of like people getting arrested by the thought police. Like they actually have thought police over there. If you're, there was a woman praying across from an abortion clinic. She got arrested for praying, never saying anything out loud, silence, complete silence. But for her thoughts, she was arrested. Or people who might, uh, neighbors who might report a neighbor over there because they uh, say something unkind about a flag of Palestine or something like that. They're go, they go in and arrest them, right? There's, there's things that you can't actually, um, if, if you want to stand up for what is right, you know, you're getting penalized for it. So that's getting dangerously close. But the best example would be we just came from <clears throat> season, uh, like a three-year span all over the world where people were getting arrested for not, you know, for doing what was right. And you're seeing all this footage of like uh, in France, I remember like a, a woman with her children in a shopping cart standing outside a grocery store just trying to get food for her family she had money but she wasn't <clears throat> you know she didn't go with the uh, agenda and so the store owners nobody they weren't letting her in the store that that was a gross injustice right so when you get to a point in a society where you are you actually have righteous people or innocent victims shrieking and crying out and their cries are saying to heaven and, and they're coming down to investigate to go, okay, I'm getting all these cries. What's going on? You know, why, what's, you know, um, that's where we get into the destruction scenario. Uh, so anyway, Saddam and Amaraha shriek, right? Their, their cries are sinning to heaven for their sins are many and are very grievous. I have therefore come down and I will see what causes the shrieks that have come to me. Remember, Yahuwah also came down to the Tower of Babel to inspect it. We're, we're never told what happened. We're never given the story, probably because there was no witness there. We have, in this case, Abraham and Lot to kind of, you know, two witnesses to describe what happened. We don't know what the scene was like at, at Babel, but he goes down personally to inspect it there as well and then to topple it. Um, have a full cause. If not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Saddam. But Abraham stood firm in the presence of Yahuwah. So he's walking with the three men. They stop. They're talking. The two men continue on. And now he's speaking directly to Yahuwah. And Abraham approached and said, will you destroy the just along with the wicked? Now remember the salt covenant, right? He Yahuwah has come into a salt covenant with Abraham. And, and he can't destroy him now. Um, of course, he's already made promises to him beforehand. But you see now where Abraham is like he's trying to. I don't know if it's safe to say push the envelope where he's like trying to be like, like, hold on here now. You know, you made this, we, we broke bread together. So um, I'm asking you to actually spare the city now. Uh, and will you destroy the just along with the wicked? If there are 50 just persons within the city, you will destroy it. Or will you destroy it and not raise your hand from the place because of the 50 just persons that are within it? For far be it from you to do as you have said, thus to slay the just with the wicked and to make the just and the wicked alike. It is far from you. 
will not the judge of the whole Arats do justice? Is that saying he's saying that like it's not your character, it's not your character to destroy uh, righteous people uh, with the wicked. Will not the judge of the whole Arats do justice? Yahuwah accordingly answered, If I find 50 just men in the whole city of Saddam, then I will for their sakes take off my hand from all the place. Then Abraham answered and said, of course, Abraham knows. He, he knows like there's, there's, he's not going to find 50 people, not even close. See now, I began to speak to my Adon, although I am but dust and ashes. If there should want, if there should want five just persons of the 50, Will you sweep away the whole city for wants of five? And he answered, I will not sweep it away if I find there 45. But he continued still to speak to him and said, if there are found 40 there, he replied, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Still, he said, I love this is like, like straight up like Middle Eastern bartering right here. Still, he said, let not my Adon be angry now and I will speak. If 30 are found there, and he answered, I will not do it if I find 30. And I, you know, the thing is, is that like I, I think Yahuwah here, he's looking at Abraham's heart and he sees his heart and he goes, like, like, I get it. You love these people, and you don't want anyone to perish. And I, I think that you know that this is one of the reasons that uh he is speaking. Um, you know, Abraham seems to be, I mean, I I, I look at this and go, like, man, I don't know if I would speak to him like this. Uh, but um, I, I think he sees his heart, and uh, he knows where he's at, and that's why he's, uh, I guess, entertaining the conversation. Okay, and he, where was I? And he answered, uh, "I will not do it if I find thirty. He continued. He continued, however, "See now, I will dare to speak to my Adon. If there are found twenty there, and he answered, "I will not destroy it for the sake of twenty. He then said, "Let not my Adon, Adon be angry now, and I will speak once more. If ten are found there." And he replied, I will not destroy it for the sake of the ten. Then Yahuwah went to do what he had told to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his own place. I, I almost wonder if, because Abraham was, he knew that uh, Eliezer, uh, his servant, had family there. He knew that Lot had family there. So he's probably thinking in his mind, like, I think he's going to find ten people. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he knew in his heart that he wouldn't. I don't really know. But he knows he didn't take it down to five. He, he left it at 10. Like, I think we got this covered. The destruction of Sodom for sin. Another, another drink from my paper cup with no lid. It's cold now. And two of the messengers came to Saddam at evening when Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. And Lot saw and rose to invite them and bowed his face to the ground and said, See now, my good sirs, turn aside to the house of your servant and rest yourselves and wash your feet and quench your thirst, and then you can proceed on your journey. Now, what he has just done is he's just broken the law. He's actually, he's obeying the law of heaven. He has just broken the law of Sodom. This is a death sentence. Somebody is going to die. Someone's going to burn as a result of this. And I, I want to point this out that we were talking in the, the pre-show discussion about the rapture. And uh, the, the rapture crowd, I, and I don't, I, I don't even want to come down on the rapture theology. I really don't. Um, but the idea of being taken out, right? Because in, in some regards, the, uh, 
Lot was, I, I don't think he was just like the angels. Uh, I think they almost really just, you know, really like yanked them out. They kind of pulled them out. But here's the thing. The, the rapture crowd loves to use this Sodom and Gomorrah uh, episode as proof of the rapture. And I'm always like, really? Like, like, <laughs> um, hold on. Let me just say a few things here first. If, if, if Lot was not, think of what would happen if Lot did not apprehend them at the gate. And he did not actually, I mean, how many people do you just meet in your, like, if you imagine yourself, you're sitting at a gate, two dudes, strangers walk into the town. What do you do? You say, Hey, how's it going? And then just get back to your business. Right. Do you, do you even say that or just, you know, kind of, kind of acknowledge them and then just kind of move on. And he actually invited them to his house to, to be hospitable and take care of them. Total strangers, total strangers. I can't, I, I can't see myself honestly doing that. Now, maybe in a different culture, right? Like in a more, you know, rural country like this. But this is where Yaakov gets into the idea that it's like, uh, there might be dudes who, you know, you go, you don't know that they're angels and you need to treat every stranger like that because you don't really know. If he hadn't done this, would he have perished? That's the question, right? It's not... This is what the rapture crowd misses out on. They just think that like, oh, you know what? I can just go about my, I don't have to be obedient to the law. A lot of them teach that. Don't be obedient. Just you go about your life. The angels, they'll come and get you. It's like, I'm not sure it would have worked out that way for a lot. And they said, uh, but they replied, no, for we must go further. Now, I won't get into Jasher. For those of you who read it, you know what they were doing. They had heard reports ascending to heaven that, uh, they had these laws in Sodom that they would make the the visitors go sleep on these public beds, and when they're in these public beds, they would do these terrible things to them and steal all their money and you know worse things like that. They were looking to see if they were to go sleep in these beds, if the people were do if the reports were accurate, and they were going to respond accordingly. So Lot actually pulled them away, veered them away from their mission. Then he pressed them much. So they turned with him and came to his house. They're like, okay, fine. We'll come to your house. Maybe they were thinking they would spend another night or something like that. And he made them a banquet with unleavened cakes. And they partook of them. So there it is right there. We see another covenant of salt. He's actually, the, the unleavened cakes tells us that this is uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Passover had just happened uh, or was happening and that he was preparing these cakes. Um, I don't know. I don't know if, if the feast had started or for midway or what what point in the feast we are, but he's offering them unleavened cakes. He's he's participating in the Torah. We see that the the feast happening before it was given at Sinai. It's very clear. It's right here, and now, the, just like I said with the covenant of salt, these angels they are required now. They have to uh, protect Lot by 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 duty. By they they've entered a covenant. They cannot destroy him now. This is something that, again, the rapture crowd doesn't get, especially those who are not in, like, it, it wasn't just that he brought him to his house. He brought him into the feast of Yahuwah, Yahuwah. It was not yet time for sleep when the men of the city, the men of S Saddam, surrounded the house from youth to old men. Now, how did they find out? When you read the writings of Abraham, when you read Jasher, you find out that 
uh, I think, was it in Jasher, his wife kind of had a motor mouth and went and talked to people. Uh, in the writings of Abraham, it was his son-in-law. So his, his daughter's uh, husbands, they went and reported him. Think like Karen's, right? Think about that. <clears throat> that time when people were getting reported, stuff like that, uh, for not obeying the laws of the land because they were trying to be obedient to uh, Yahuwah, same thing, right? So these men show up, and what we're going to see is like the angels were like, dang. I mean, we were going to sleep in the streets, and we heard these bad reports, but this is worse than any report that we have received. Like when, when this when this happened, they're like, that's it. <laughs> you guys are done for. Like we know we have our orders. We know what, what's going to happen. So the men of the city, the men of Saddam, surround the house from youths to old men. In fact, all the people from every extremity of the city and called out to Lot or to Lawat and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have sexual intercourse with them. It's always such a lovely scene. A lot, however, went out to them to the porch and the doors were closed behind him. And he said, my friends, do not commit such wickedness. Look now, I have two daughters. No man has had sexual intercourse with them. I will bring them to you and you can do to them whatever you like. Ouch. I could, I would never do that to my, I cannot imagine doing that to my daughter. I will, um, only to these men do not do such a thing. They came to the shelter of my roof. But they replied, be off with that. This fellow came here a stranger and he enters into the controversy, passing judgments, making decisions. Now it shall be worse for you than for them. So <laughs> they're like, like, like Lot, we put up with you, but you're, you have this self-righteous attitude. You're holier than thou. You know, we, we put up with the fact that you didn't come to our little, uh, our, uh, they have these festivals every year where they would do wife swaps and all these wives would, and their daughters and sons would go off with different people. And a, a lot and his wife apparently were never there. And we're like, you know, we're, we put up with this. But we're, we, one thing we're not going to accept from you is you judging us. How dare you judge us? Right now, uh, the, the hardest thing about this is the fact that he offered his two daughters. I mean, that's messed up. I can't make heads or tails of that. People have different thoughts. Um I have not been able to ra uh, rectify that in my mind. However, when you read, <coughs> excuse me, speaking of the, <coughs> uh, when, when you read Jasher, uh, one of Lot's daughters has uh, already uh, burned to death at the stake because she was feeding a, a man who came into one of the beds and they couldn't understand why he wasn't losing weight. Well, she was feeding him every single day secretly. Finally, she was caught. They burned her. She by obeying Yahuwah's laws, she disobeyed Sodom's and was punished, right? So I, th I think in Lot's mind, he knows that he knows the consequence of breaking the law. There has to be death. There has to be a human victim for the law being broken. And I think he's offering his two daughters for the life of these two men, saying, look, yeah, I did break your law. I brought these men here to spare them from what you were going to do them in, in public. As a result, I know there has to be a human life. There has to be blood. Take my daughters. All right. Um, I don't agree with that, but I think that that's in his mindset. I think that's what he's doing here. I could be wrong, but that's my best guess. Then they rush towards the man Lot with a vengeance. Notice how they didn't rush towards the two men here. They, they rushed towards Lot. 
and attempted to break the gates. But the men, but the two men, the, the two angels, put out their hands and brought Lot to themselves into the house and closed the gates. And they struck the men in the front of the house with blindness from the youngest to the oldest, so they could not find the doorway. Kind of interesting that they were, you know, struck with blindness, right? I mean, they were already like, it was really their, it was almost like a, like a symptom that was based on the disease, right? They were already blinded in a disease sort of fashion, stumbling around in the darkness, <coughs> totally morally depraved. Then the men said to Lot, now, who is with you here, relative or son or daughter, or anyone that you, you have in this city? Let them, uh, let them get out from this place, for we shall destroy this place. For its great shriek has come before Yahuwah, the ever-living, and Yahuwah, the ever-living, has sent us to destroy it. Lot therefore went out and spoke to his relatives, to those who were to take his daughters in marriage, and said, Come, let us go out from this place, for Yahuwah, the ever-living, will destroy this city. But he existed a gesture in the eyes of his relatives. I just caught that. I don't know why I didn't catch that before, but he went and uh, Pamela had put in here that he was, uh, he went out to speak to those who were uh, going to take his daughter. So the two daughters he offered, they were betrothed to be married, it sounds like. That marriage would have been null and void if the, um, you know, these men had come and taken them. There would have been, Further, probably legal uh, uh, repercussions for Lot for allowing that to happen. Um, yeah, hmm. but I, I love that. This is such a Pamela line where she put, uh, "He existed a jester in the eyes of his relatives," and I mean, we've all. You know, we, last week we saw Abraham, and he leaves uh, Babylon, and he follows uh, Yahweh. These are, this is the path that we are all asked to go on. And I brought up Pilgrim's Progress, right? When Christian runs, flees the city of destruction, just like Lot's about to do. And, you know, he's pursued by uh, two guys, obstinate and pliable, who are like, you know, you're, 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 you're making us look bad. Dude. You're a fool. You're, we're trying to, you know, spare you from ridicule, right? And we've all, we've all been in these situations when we're trying to give the truth to people. We're trying to tell them about the actual state of the world and they're so asleep they're just in hibernation mode they're just like okay okay dude you know like everybody reads the bible and they think that if they were here in Sodom and Gomorrah or they were alive when Noah's building the ark they wouldn't have been one of the normies out there laughing at Noah right or they you know they would have been one of the ones go on the ark it's like really really because yeah, I mean, I, I don't need to berate that point, but everybody sees themselves as not that person that would laugh and ridicule a lot. But, um, or, or I should say, nobody sees themselves as that person. But then when you do it, it's different, right? Because you're not the Bible. You're not a character in the Bible. So clearly you must be nuts. So when Don arrived, the messenger said to Lot, Get up, take your covenant woman and your two daughters and go out for the crimes of the city are completed. Now, the, the two daughters are still under his care. Um, and, of course, his wife is. He had he had more family than this. Actually, you know, his wife was, um, according to, I can't remember if it was Jasher or the writings of Abraham, probably some other sources too, probably the legends of the Jews. 
uh, she was actually the granddaughter of Eliezer. So uh, Eliezer had a, I think a son, and then the, she would be the daughter of that son. Uh, and, you know, Eliezer went to Sodom earlier. He was beaten on the head. That's a whole other story. I mean, he was mis mistreated. They're just going to visit his family. Um, and it's sad that Lot had uh, Eliezer. I mean, you think like in Abraham's camp, they would have been sad for this. I mean, this is one of the reasons Abraham's pleading. He has family there, guys, like, you know, nephews, nieces, grandchildren, all that kind of stuff of, 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 of his servants. They're all there. And um, uh, so they're, they're not making it. They're not making it out. The only reason the two daughters are making it is because they're not handed over to these husbands yet, who, by the way, were the ones that handed them over to begin with. So, I mean, his own, his own, his own, like, his own wife thinks he's crazy. Like everybody thinks this guy's crazy. Anyway, so he hesitated. Why does he, uh, or they said, uh, get out where the crimes of the city are completed. And that's another interesting thought. I, I brought that up in past weeks about this idea of uh, sin reaching a point of completion. And that's something I, I, I would like to do more study on and understand at what, you know, what are what are the, the, the signs that sins have reached their completion? Like, you know, like he can't destroy something because it's like, yeah, they've, they've sinned a lot, but it's it's like at a six and not up to a 10 yet. Right. He hesitated. Why did he hesitate? We know why he hesitated uh, because of his family. He didn't want to leave his family behind. So the men seize hold of his hand and the hand of his covenant woman and the hands of his two daughters due to the uh, chassad of Yahweh towards him and brought them out and placed them outside the city. I mean, they're, they're like giving him the boot. They're kicking him out. Like Lot doesn't even want to leave Sodom. And when they had brought them out, uh, they then said, fly for your life. Look not behind you and delay not in all the plain. Take flight to the mountains. Take yourself there. But Lot answered and said, uh, answered them, oh, my Adon, let now your servant find favor in your sight and increase the kindness you have done to me to enliven my nefash. For I am not able to escape to the hills before the disaster will overtake me. And accordingly, I shall die. Well, I'll talk about this in a second. See now this city. It is easy to escape there in, in a little time. I can escape to there. Is it not a trifle? And my life will be preserved. So one replied to him, yes, I will accept your presence. Oh, so for this thing, I will not destroy this town on behalf of which you have spoken. Be quick to escape there for I am not able to do the thing until you arrive there. He accordingly called the name of the place uh, Zor, or Trifle. <clears throat> so in, I, this is another one of those things. I'm like, this city was supposed to be destroyed. So, um, I mean, I don't know why the angels were in such haste to destroy the city. I mean, why couldn't they have waited another hour until he got to the mountains? I don't. I don't know. I'm not, you know, I'm not the one uh, following heavenly commands, you know, in the military fashion here. I'm not giving these orders uh, why it is. But it's interesting that Lot is like, he still doesn't want to give up the, the life of Sodom. Like he, he can't let it go. He's got to run to this other city. Uh, the sun had yet had risen, or the sun had risen above the land when Lot entered uh, Zor. Yahuwaha, the ever-living, then reigned upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, or Amaraha, lightning and fire from Yahuwaha, the ever-living, from the skies, and overwhelmed those towns 
them and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the towns and the produce of the land. All right. This paragraph has come up to my attention. Uh, people were asking, well, wait a second, Noel. If, if what you're saying is true, that Yahuwah is Yahushua HaMashiach, what do you make of this account? Okay. Now, the Trinitarians love this passage because it, it, it can be written in such a way that there's two Yahuwahs. And in fact, uh, Michael Heiser, the late Michael Heiser, talked about this. That why is there a uh, Yahuwah in the heavens and one on the earth? Um, and I, and I, I was reading this passage over and over and over again, and I'm not so sure that's what it's saying. There, uh, some of the, <coughs> excuse me, some of the rabbinical uh, commentators uh, say that there's a lot of textual complications in this whole section. I told you one about the um, the tense where there appears to be like a missing phrase or a sentence or a scene. And it's like it's like a, a jump where like the three angels are outside, and then all of a sudden one of them is talking from within the tent, and it, it, it seems to be like some order of events things here that are a little confused. And I I think I could be wrong. I think what's happening is that um, Yahuwah has already ascended up to heaven. All right. So uh, I I don't I don't think it's saying that there is a Yahuwah standing next to Abraham on the earth and another Yahuwah up in heaven. I think that he is, um, uh, the, it, it's basically saying that the, it's, it's almost like rephrasing it twice. And it's saying that the lightning and fire is coming from Yahuwah from the skies in heaven, right? In the Shamayam. And he, it overwhelmed those towns, them and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the towns and the produce of the land. Interestingly enough, we talked about the salt covenant and I just thought, I, mean, I was thinking about this today. I'm like, I don't even know how to address this because I had never thought of this before that you go to the Dead Sea and it's like the saltiest place on the earth. The place is covered in salt. Uh, I was uh, 19 years old. I was with some other dudes and, you know, we were like, we, we, we saw the Dead Sea and we're like racing to the Dead Sea. And it was like hot, blistering hot, like 120 degree kind of day summertime i think it was july could have been august it was out in the you know the, the desert out there we're running and 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 uh i i actually won that race i mean but it's not anything to brag about because i landed in the dead sea and the water splashed up and it got in my eyes and it was just like salt just like starts expanding and it was like nasty i was blinded i couldn't see um and it's a, like you literally it's the most eeriest feeling like you just float on it like you can't sink in it it's just it's there's so much salt so interestingly the interesting that we have these two salt covenants that happen with abraham and then with lots and then the land is destroyed but it's salt so it, it i i don't know what to make of that yeah you know, then you know yahushua talks about how if something isn't salty anymore it loses its flavor right well it's pretty salty there it's the salt life, something I've grown accustomed to here in Florida, you know, the salt life. All right. But his covenant woman, from following after him, looked back with respect. I actually really like how um, Pamela phrased that there. She looked back with respect. And so she will exist as a pillar of salt. I think what happened was is because the it wasn't just the fact that she looked back. Like she looks back and she comes as a pillar of salt. 
I mean, the, the reason why she looked back is because she loved Sodom. She couldn't give it up. She liked the lifestyle. She didn't, she didn't truly want the righteous lifestyle, right? She escaped, but she didn't want, she didn't, it's, it's almost like the, the idea of manna, that manna is uh, food of the angels, it comes from heaven. I actually read a passage this week from Adam and Eve, and it, somehow this is, uh, had eluded me in the past that the manna, according to Adam and Eve, grew on a tree. And it was actually, it came from a tree in heaven. Really interesting. Well, um, it's kind of like all the people bickering over the manna. But then you 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 find out what the manna was. And it was like, uh, it could taste like whatever you wanted it to. It actually says that in the ascent of, uh, uh, or of the Clementine, uh, Clementine homilies, as well as the uh, legends of the Jews. Like It, it was like in Willy Wonka's ch uh, chocolate factory that, that uh, that gum, you know, you chewed, and it was like whatever you wanted. And yet, people complained. It's because, you know, they they didn't want to live a righteous lifestyle. It was it was terrible tasting to them, right? Yet it was the food of heaven. The same thing for his wife. It, the, anything righteous was sounded horrible to her. She wanted that. And I think that what happened was it wasn't just that she looked back. She turned into a pillar of salt because, that, for all I know, Sodom. I mean, uh, not Sodom. Lot may have been like uh, running, you know, looking back, right? or his daughters, but I think she was in the blast zone. And that's what the angels were saying, like, you need to get out of here now because this whole place is getting wiped out. And I think she stood there too long. And it's like, you know, like a bomb goes off and it like, you could see the, you know, like a, like an atomic bomb or something, right? And it spreads out and she was just there and she got cooked. I think that's what happened. And when Abraham went in the morning to the place where he stood before Adoniah, and looked out towards Sodom and Gomorrah and towards the land of the plain, he saw and perceived a stench and smoke rise up from the country like the smoke from a furnace. Um, I can't imagine. I mean, I, 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 I try to imagine. I mean, what that night of sleep would have been like for him if he slept at all. I mean, he, he, he probably felt terrible knowing that this was going to happen, not knowing which of his relatives uh, were going to survive. Right, the people he loved, he knew personally were there. His, his, you know, nephew was there, and and so he would have heard it. I mean, you would have heard like the boosh as that thing goes down, and it's raining down, and you know he he gets out of bed, he runs to like a hill where he can overlook, and he just sees like this furnace of the smoke just ascending. And I actually think that this is a the, the perfect example of Gehenna. The idea that Sheol will be thrown into the lake of fire and the, the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. The idea is, is that uh, like these people in Sodom and Gomorrah, they've been judged. It's not an eternal torment. I, it, it looked bad. I mean, if, if, the videos I've seen of the, the brimstone coming down, like th that stuff, when it hit this man, that would just, it would have been melting your skin and cutting through you. I mean, it would have been horrific. It would have been awful. Uh, I don't know how long it lasts. Some people probably died sooner than others. But within so many minutes, they would have been wiped out. 15 minutes, 30 seconds. I don't know how long, right? And the idea is, is that that's the smoke of their torment rising up forever and ever and ever. Um, they're gone, right? And that's that, that's how we see it in Revelation. That when Sheol is thrown into the lake of fire, it's not at that point, there's no more eternal torment. It's done. It's over. Death is no more. So I think this is the perfect example of that. Thus it was that Elahayam destroyed the cities of the plain. Now notice here, 
it, it gives um, it gives credence or it gives authority to Allah Hayam. Yahuwah doesn't do anything apart from his father. His father gave Yahuwah the authority to make this decision. So it's attributing Allah Hayam destroyed the cities of the plain. But Allah Hayam remembered Abraham and set Lot beyond the reach of the destruction with which he destroyed those towns wherein Lot had settled to dwell. And Lot went up from Zoar and remained in the hills along with his two daughters, for he was afraid to stay in the city. Um, and why is that? Like, what? Why was he afraid? I mean, that 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 has my curiosity. Um, he so desperately wanted to go there. Once he gets there, he realizes it's not what it was made out to be. Um, were the pick? Were the people like uh, doubling down on their wickedness? Were they like, let's get the you know, LGBTQ floats out. I mean, you know, like like in New Orleans, Mardi Gras. I mean, what, what's going on here? I, I don't really know. But there was obviously a, um, I mean, there had to have been survivors. And by that, I mean, Abraham was far enough away. He wasn't destroyed. There would have been people around the hill country that would have had family there and other things. And there would have been, they would have been wandering around and people were probably going to the city going, why was this city not destroyed? And, you know, I, I, I don't know why he was afraid. Um, if anyone has any thoughts on that, be sure to write it in there. So he dwelt in a cave along with his two daughters and the elder daughter said to the younger, our father grows old and there's not a man in the, in the earth to come to us as others do all over the world, the world over. Again, they had just been from a city which wasn't destroyed. So clearly, I, I don't understand why his daughters think this is the end of the world. I mean, I don't know. Uh, maybe, I don't know. We really don't have the context of what they experienced in that town. And maybe his daughters do think that maybe the people in the town thought that was the end of the world. Maybe they thought everything was destroyed, right? I don't know. Anyways, come on. Let us make... Um, Ath, our father, drunk with wine and lie down with him so that offspring may exist from our father. <clears throat> they learned, I, I guess they learned uh, their notes from um, Noah and Ham. So they made their father drunk with wine that night, and the elder went and lay with her father. But he was not aware of the fact when she lay down or when she rose up. It was some time afterwards that the elder said to the younger, See, I went with my father the other night. Now we will make him dr uh, drunk with wine also tonight. And you can go and lie with him. And it may be that offspring will exist from our father. So she, so I, I actually like, um, I don't have the Masoretic in front of me. Um, Pamela writes some time afterwards. And she said the other night, but I always had the impression that it was back to back, like one night and then the next night. And that doesn't always make, maybe the, the sister's cycles were aligned. Um, but this kind of, if they would have known and they would have known what their, their cycles were, it could have been like a week apart, right? Like that kind of makes a little bit more sense to me that it was sometime afterwards, but not too far in the future. It was within like a, probably a month period that, both of this happened. Now we will make him drunk with wine also tonight, and you can go and lie with him, and it may be that offspring will exist from our father. So she gave their father wine to drink that night also, and the younger rose and went with him, 
and he knew not when she lay down or when she arose. That has to be really drunk. I mean, I'm trying to like, I, I don't want to make light of the situation. I'm just trying to figure out how in the world this happened twice. And he was completely oblivious. Thus, both of the daughters of Lot conceived from their father, which was, that was some uh, good, uh, uh, you know, goalie points right there. I mean, they got on the first try. Uh, they won one attempt with their father and they both got pregnant on the first try. That's very rare for that to happen. And then the elder gave birth to a son and she called his name um, Moab. He was the ancestor of Moab of today. <coughs> Excuse me. And the, young, the younger also gave birth to a son and she called his name Ban Am Amaya. He was the ancestor of uh, Benua Am Amayuan of today. All right. Abraham and Abimelech. I want to make sure I'm not missing any notes here. Okay. Well, I guess I do need to move on because um, yeah, uh, Kurt writes, let me just put that in here. Perhaps the uh, perhaps looting and lawlessness of the remaining people scared Lot after the destruction. That's actually a really good point because that is what would happen. Uh, there would be the people would be scared society has come to an end uh there could have been people just yeah just breaking the homes looting like just you know like yeah that makes total sense and he would be afraid to be there for his own safety in life that makes total sense so thank you for that um uh, i'm jarring my my thoughts on that all right abraham and abimelech Ah, the coffee's cold. I guess I gotta drink some water. Hold on. Abraham, Abraham then removed quietly from there landward. And, you know, yeah, I mean, that's that's just interesting to see that too, that he quietly moves. Probably a lot of people did. I This is what I'm saying, that the surrounding cities would have had a lot of exiles uh, coming in. <coughs> so he, he removes quietly, doesn't want to make a scene now again if you read the writings of abraham uh yahuwaha actually gives uh abraham the words to say the prayer to recite that has to bring an end to sodom and gomorrah so if you're going by that abraham is literally the one that initiated the, the destruction and so you would want to keep that's one reason to keep quiet about right if people knew that about you, they'd be like, yeah, you're not coming into my city. And he settled between Kudash and the wall and resided in Gerar. <clears throat> and as Abraham said of Sharaha, his covenant woman, she is my sister. Same repeated action as Mitrim. Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took for himself Sharaha. Alahayam, however, came to Abimelech in a dream at night. And said, so this would be Allah Hayam, the father. All right. Beware of death, because this woman whom you have taken, she is another man's covenant woman. But Abimelech had not made advances to her. So he replied, My Adon, would you kill a just person? Has not this man said to me, She is my sister? And did not she herself say to me, He is my brother? In the honesty of my heart and in the innocence of my hand, I have done this. 
Then Alahayam said to him in a dream, I also know that in the honesty of your heart have you done this. So I restrained you. I also warned you from sin against me. Therefore, I did not permit you to reach out to her. Uh, reach out to touch her. Excuse me. So now restore to the man his covenant woman, for he is a chief captain who works life, and he will intercede for you. But if you do not return her, know that you shall certainly die in all that you have. I think one translation I read said, know that you will be a dead man. When Abimelech awoke in the morning, he called his ministers and related in their hearing the whole of these events, and the men were greatly afraid. <coughs> Abimelech consequently called Abraham and asked him, what have you done to us? And what have I sinned against you that you have brought on me in my kingdom this great danger for acts they have not done? You have done us wrong. And Abimelech continued to Abraham, what have you seen that you have done this thing? But Abraham replied, I said that perhaps there is no fear of Allah Hayyam in this place, and they will kill me on account of my covenant woman. And indeed, she is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not of my mother. And she was given to me for a covenant woman. But when Allah Hayyam caused me to be a wanderer for my father's house, then I said to her, this is the kindness which you shall show me in every place where we come. Say, I am your brother. <coughs> I'm starting to lose my uh, voice here, but I think I can keep it up for the next 40 minutes. Abimelech, however, took sheep, oxen, slaves, and girls and gave to Abraham. And he returned to Sh uh, Sharaha, his covenant woman, to him. And Abimelech said, see, my country is before you. Stay wherever it is good for your eyes. While to Sharaha, he said, I have given a thousand gifts to this brother of yours, for he must be a covering of the eyes to all who are with you and to all who meet you. Then Abraham appealed for Abimelech to Alahayam, and Alahayam made the women, the women of Abimelech fruitful and his servants as well, and they gave birth to children because Yahuwaha, the ever-living, here's the exchange between father and son working together. Yahuwaha, the ever-living, had sterilized those of the household of Abimelech on account of Sharaha, the covenant woman of Abraham. Okay, so this goes back into my theory about the divine birth of Yitzhak. <coughs> Up to this point, at the meeting of the tent, uh, Sharaha was so old that she was, you know, she was postmenopausal. She could not have children. There was no physical way for her to have children. Um, as far as I'm concerned, uh, we are actually never given evidence that uh, Abraham and and his wife, his covenant woman, ever had relations. Now, I'm not saying that they didn't, but this has been commented upon. Like uh, the instance when um, they're going into Mitreen, it says when they're crossing the river. The idea is, is that uh, she would have lifted up her dress some and her ankles would have been exposed. And Abraham would have looked down and go, wow, you're really pretty. And some of the rabbis have asked through the years, well, why is Abraham not noticing until now that he sees her ankles, how pretty she is, right? So this question has been asked, um, you know, were they having relations? Um, but my theory on the idea that uh, Yahuwah opened up her womb uh, in the tent 
goes to show here that you now obviously there's good reasons as to why we wouldn't want Abimelech sleeping with Abraham's wife. However, uh, it seems to be that she could get pregnant here. And it was such a threat that Yahweh sterilized everyone in the household of Abimelech. That means not just that means his entire that means his entire community, his entire kingdom. Like they were all sterilized. They could, you know, they had erectile dysfunction or whatever, that they were unable to come at their women. Why is that? Because she could get pregnant. And I don't believe she was pregnant yet. I don't believe she was pregnant with Yitchak yet. But of course, it was supposed to happen within a year, right? So, so we're within a very short window. Of, you know, if we're looking at nine months, that there has to be a baby within a year. It, it hasn't been three months yet since uh, destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the uh, the announcement. Yahuwah, the ever living, afterwards effected with Sharaha what he had promised. There it is. And Yahuwah did for Sharaha that which he had said. And Sharaha conceiving gave birth to a son to Abraham in his old age. She gave a son to him. But it never says here that Abraham knew his woman. We read that all the time in scripture. And such and such person knew, you know, knew, you know, Adam knew uh, Chua and or Hava and, and they gave birth to this Seth, right? It never says that. And I think it's very telling that he fulfilled his promise. He came and he visited her again. And, um, you know, I don't know how he just touched her. I don't, I don't know how it happened. Uh, but I, I think that we're looking at a, a type of divine. I don't say immaculate conception. I'm not saying that she was a virgin like Miriam. Um, and, and, of course, immaculate conception is kind of a Catholic uh, understanding to begin with. It's not the best phrasing. That's why I say it, it was a divine birth. I think that that is what's happening here, that he is creating a new people, a people of faith. The only way to enter into this family, the true family of Abraham, through Yitzhak, through Yaakov, through the patriarchs, is a faithfulness, obedience to uh, Yehusha HaMashiach, uh, who we're entering a covenant with, with right? Yahuwaha, Yehusha HaMashiach, the two covenants, the renewed covenant, um, and it it can't be through uh, it, it's not physical it's purely spiritual Abraham accordingly gave the son born to him by Sharaha the name of Yetchak and so I guess he gave the name right so um, little <laughs> remembering at that moment when remember that time you were laughing in the tents and you thought this couldn't happen so let's let's name him laughter and Abraham circumcised Yetchak on the eighth day, as Allahayam had instructed him. And Abraham was then 100 years old when his son Yetchak was born to him. Sharaha then declared, Allahayam has made a delight for me, for he has made me suckle again, for I have borne a son to his age. And she continued, For Abraham I am a flowing brook, he has made me suckle children, for I have borne a son to his age. When the lad grew and was weaned, Abraham celebrated the weaning of Yetchak with a great feast. <clears throat> um, okay, so it doesn't talk much here about this great feast. Um, but let me just read this here from, this passage is 
from, oh, Jasher, Jasher 21. And just to give you an idea of who came to this feast. And the child grew up and he was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast upon the day that Yitzhak was weaned. And Shem and Eber, so Bekelzedek was there, Eber, his son, and all the great people of the land, and Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and his servants. Uh, and it seems that Abimelech was um, on board with Abraham. And of course, if you read the writings of Abraham, he actually became a Mekilzedek priest, uh, like Shem. So you got a couple of Mekilzedek uh, priests here present. And his servants and Phicol, the captain of his host, came to eat and drink and rejoice at the feast which Abraham made upon the day of his son, Yitzhak being weaned. Oh, so Terah, the father of Abraham, wait a second, I thought he died. Well, that's just the thing about the Torah is that it like, it kind of jumps around, you know, like it talks about something that maybe is future tense, but then you, you think like it made it out like he died chapters ago, but now he shows up. He comes out to Canaan. Uh, he didn't go this far. I mean, it's been commented upon that he didn't go all the way with Abraham. He stayed back, but now he's coming to the feast to see his grandchild. Also, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, his brother, came from Haran. So, again, Haran was not, I, I can't remember how far away it is from Canaan in respect to Babylon, but it's clearly not all the way. They and all belonging to them, for they greatly rejoiced on hearing that his son had been born to uh, Saraha. And they came to Abraham, and they ate and drank at the feast which Abraham made upon the day of Yitzhak's being weaned. And Terah and Nahor rejoiced with Abraham, and they remained with him many days in the land of the Philistines. So a little backstory there on that. Sharaha also saw the son, which Hagar, the Matsurim, had born to Abraham, conspicuously making sport of Yitzhak. And said to Abraham, drive out my maid and her son, for the son of this slave shall not be an inheritor with my son Yitzhak. Now, this is a fascinating passage because we actually, this is uh, the code of uh, Hammurabi of Babylon actually made it into the Bible. And uh, a lot of people, you know, speculate that the code of Hammurabi was a, a contemporary of Abraham. I don't think he was. I think that's going according to the Masoretic timeline where like Nimrod and Babel, the Tower of Babel and everything, they're all kind of meshed together. Um, I, I think it's probably older. And it, 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 I, I don't know if the, the code of Hammurabi uh, predates Nimrod or what, what what's going on that, with that. But these laws uh, are written on Blackstone. Seven and a half feet in height and six feet in circumference are huge. Uh, I okay. So this this stone depicts the king uh, Hammurabi receiving the law from Shamash, the Elohim of justice. All right, and this stone can be found today in the Louvre in Paris. I have been to the Louvre in Paris, the most mind blowing museum. Uh, you, you know, like the the joke of getting lost in a museum. I got lost in a museum. It took me 30 minutes to find my way out. I was holding the hand of one of my children. He was four years old at the time. He had to, he had to go pee pee. And it took me 30 minutes following the exit signs. I kept going in circles. I kept going, oh, I'm in Egypt. Oh, I'm back in Babylon again. And I just kept going around and around. Well, 
you know, because I had little children, I didn't, I could have spent a month at the loop. I mean, seriously, I could have spent just, it was like, um, it was a theme park for me. It was one the greatest theme park I've ever been to. And they had this one room in there of these stone, of these stone, like, they looked all like the Ten Commandments. And these things were so huge. Um, there's no way a guy, could, I mean, it would have to be a giant to pick these things up. I mean, these things were gigantic, like huge, heavy stones. And I probably saw this, but because, you know, I was with little children and um, I didn't get, I didn't get to inspect each one, but um, anyways, enough of my troubles. Um, so what, what has just happened is that she has, Abraham's wife has evoked this law. This is the, I'm going to quote to you the law that's found on these tablets. If the wife was barren, the husband, if the wife is barren, the husband is allowed to take a handmaid from his wife's court and bear a child for his house. This concubine was is not held in equal status with the wife, but is inferior to her. If the concubine becomes a rival, the wife can reduce her to slavery again, sell her or dismiss her from the household. <clears throat> so that's what um, uh, uh, Sharaha has evoked. She's saying, look, I gave you a woman, a concubine from my court. We followed all the procedures. Well, she has now, um, you know, look, she's mocking me. She's not respecting me. I want her gone. And so, um, you know, you can revoke her status and send her back to slave status or send her out of the camp. But in Abraham's view, this speech was very hurtful in regard to his son because he, he loved uh, uh, Yishmael. But Allah, and he wanted Yishmael to be, before, remember Yitchak, he wanted Yishmael to be his inheritor. Of course, he was the inheritor of the flesh, right? But Alahayam declared unto Abraham, do not be broken in your eyes. Do all that Sharaha has said against the lad and against his mother. Listen to what she says. For from, <coughs> for from Yetshak, I will call out an heir to you. And also from the son of your female slave, I will found a great, na uh, great nation for he is your seed. Abraham accordingly rose up at dawn, and taking bread and a skin of water, he placed them on the shoulder of Hagar and the lad, and sent her away, and she went and wandered in the desert of Berah Shabbat, whatever, I can't pronounce that. When the water in the skin was exhausted, <coughs> however, she placed the lad under a bush, and went and seated herself on the other side, for she said, I shall not see the lad's death. So she rested on the other side, and she raised her voice and wept. Alahayam then heard the voice of the youth, and Malak Alahayam called from Hashamayam to Hagar and said to her. So the idea is uh, Malak would be a messenger. And I, I don't know Pamela's thoughts on this. I've asked her a couple times. I mean, I take this to mean a messenger of Alahayam, like an angel of Alahayam. I don't know how she takes this. I can't represent her uh, on this. Uh, I don't know how to represent her on this thought. 
Anyways, so a messenger of Allah Hayyam is calling from the heaven <coughs> to Hagar and said to her, what Hagar is the matter? Be not afraid for Allah Hayyam has heard the voice of the lad. So he see, this, this messenger seems to be speaking about Allah Hayyam either if, if, if he is Allah Hayyam, he's speaking of himself in the third person. It seems to me he's speaking of him as somebody else from where he is. So he, be not afraid, for Alayham has heard the voice of the lad from where he is. Arise, take the lad, and support him. For I will make him, for I will make from him a great nation. Then Alayham opened her eyes, and she saw a spring of water, and she gave the lad a drink. This, thus, Alayham gave life to the lad, and he grew, and dwelt in the desert, and became a mighty archer. And settled in the desert of Fa'aran uh, or Panoram. And she took a woman for him from the land of Mitraim. Abraham's tree with Abimelech. Uh, I'm actually falling a little bit behind tonight. So I'm going to try to catch up so we can end in, a orderly, in an orderly fashion. It was about this time that Abimelech and uh, Faecal, the commander of his army. I'm sorry if you guys are writing comments. I see a lot of comments here, and um, uh, I'm missing a lot of them tonight, so I apologize. I want to try to keep up with your comments. Good, com good uh, comment, Stephanie. She writes, uh, so interesting that slave girl, that the slave girl was an Egyptian princess. And she was, of course, uh, the uh, daughter of Pharaoh. Reduced to slavery and in substation. Uh, um, <clears throat> I'm going to be giving a, a presentation or a video this week, uh, y'all willing, on who I believe the first dynasty pharaoh of Egypt was. And uh, hence, he was a son of Ham, like a literal, literal the son of Ham. Um, Osiris and Isis, I had to say. I, I think Osiris and Isis, I'm, I'm going to be showing my research on uh, Ham's Mystery Children. If you guys remember that paper I came out with a year ago, um, I want to turn it into a book. And um, showing historically why I believe that the, uh, the first pharaohs are uh, uh, Isis and Osiris. And I'm looking into the possibility of who um, this pharaoh was. Um, with Abraham, who his daughter was Hagar. And I think I've landed who I think it is. And there's other people on the internet, believe it or not, who, who've come to the same conclusion based on some of the same research. So that's promising. Anyways, um, <clears throat> it was about this time that Abimelech and Phaecal, the commander of his army, addressed Abraham saying, Allah Hayyam is with you in all that you do. So now take an oath to me before Allah Hayyam you may not deceive and to my children and posterity that the kindness which I have shown to you and you will show to me and to the land where you have been a foreigner. And Abraham replied, I will take the oath. Abraham then reproved Abimelech about the affair of the well of water, which the servants of Abimelech had stolen. Then Abimelech, it's interesting that Abraham's in a position where he could actually reprove like a king. Like then Abimelech answered, I did not myself know of that matter, and neither did you report it to me. 
and I never heard it until today. Abraham then took sheep and oxen and gave to Abimelech, and the two entered into a treaty. Abimelech then asked Abraham, what are these seven lambs for which you have put by themselves? You take these seven lambs from my hand, he answered, that they may be evidence for me that I have dug this well. They accordingly called the place Bereshabeh, the well of the oath. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm quickly uh, losing my voice here. And he entered into a treaty at the well of the oath with both Abimelech and Phaecal, the commander of his army. Then they returned to the land of Phalathuyam. They also planted tamarisk trees by the will of the oath. And there on the name of Yahuwah Al-Eulam, the ever-living eternal all, or like for all for like uh, al, uh, al -Hayam. So Abraham remained in the land of the, uh, I think that's for the Philistines, the Phalathuyam for many days. Could be wrong. I think that's the Philistines. All right, here we go. The trial of Abraham's faith. And I think that this actually ends once. I mean, we have to get through this portion, but this is the last portion of this Torah portion. And um, it's just such a fascinating turn of events from the circumcision to the promise of a child, destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, like I'm entering this covenant with you. I'm destroying these other people who are not who will not take a part in the covenant. And already we're at a point where, um, I mean, it had to be so confusing for Abraham. He's like, he's like uh, Ishmael he'll, or Eliezer, he'll be my inheritor. And Yahuwah is like, nope, not going to be him. And he's going to like, well, Yitch, uh, Yitchak, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Ishmael. And he's like, nope, not going to be him. And so now he's like, okay, it's Yitchak, right? And then he's like, yeah, about that. Uh, what? Why don't you take him up to this mountain and um, and uh, sharpen a knife? After these events, Allahim tried Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he replied, I am here. Actually, before I read this, um, let's see here. I had some notes. Uh, uh, where is it? Okay. So this is in Jasher. <clears throat> and this is... Um, where we see the, the, the conflict continually between uh, Yitchak and Yishmael. And this is, uh, we'll get to what chapter this is. And Yitchak, the son of Abraham, was growing up in those days, and Abraham's father taught him the way of Yahuwah, to know Yahuwah. And Yahuwah was with him. We get, the, we get this indication that Yitchak and Yaakov were trained in the ways of Yahuwah. I believe they were actually schooled under Shem. Uh, but uh, with Yishmael and then with Esau, neither one of them ever wanted to uh, take part. And that's what's interesting that, you know, Yishmael was, he was circumcised physically. He was of the flesh, but he was not of the spirit as Yitchak was. He was circum uh, circumcised of the spirit as he was the, 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 the seed of promise of the spirit. And when Yitchak was 37 years old, so he's not he's not a little boy here. I mean, he's 37 years old. <clears throat> I had had children by this age. By this age, uh, Ishmael, his brother, was going about with him in the tent, and and uh, Yishmael boasted of himself to Yitchak, saying, "I was 13 years old when Yahuwah spoke to my father 
to circumcise us. And I did according to the word of Yahuwah, which he spoke to my father. And I gave my soul unto Yahuwah. Did he really, though? And I did not transgress his word, which he commanded my father. So he's saying, like, he's like, look, that's, that's you know, great and all, but, you know, you were, you were circumcised when you were eight days old. That's great. But I did it when I was, like, when it hurt. Like, you know, I'm in puberty. And I did it. So I really, I sacrificed something. You didn't really sacrifice anything. And Yitchek answered Yishmael saying, why dost thou boast to me about this, about a little bit of my of thy flesh, which thou didst take from my from thy body, concerning which Yahuwah commanded thee? That is such a huge statement. A lot of people, you know, they say that um, <coughs> Jasher, it needs to be discarded because it's purely like a fair pharmaceutical uh, Judaism text, you know, second temple era text. And you see all this like rabbinical influence in it. And yet, you know, the, the rabbis were all about cutting off the skin. Like it was a big deal. And yet you see this comment in here from Yitzhak. Uh, and this is one of those passages that, you know, I can see some of the influence in some of it. This is one of those passages that speaks against the, 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 the rabbinical tradition to me. That they would actually insert this in here where he's like, he's like, why does thou boast to me about your circumcision? About a little bit of thy flesh, which thou did a little. <laughs> I can see brothers like, yeah, yours was like really little, like a little bit of flesh. You know, mine would have been huge, but you know, uh, but a little bit of thy flesh, which thou didst take from thy body. Whoop de doo, right? As Yahuwah, as Yahuwah liveth, the Elohim of my father Abraham. If Yahuwah should say unto my father, take now thy son Yitchak and bring him up an offering before me, I would not refrain, but I would joyfully accede to it. And Yahuwah heard the word that Yitchak spoke to uh, Yishmael, and it seemed good in the side of Yahuwah, and he thought to try Abraham in this matter. So we see where the, the source of the temptation came from, or the test. Not the temptation, but that's a that's a bad translation. The test. It came from Yitchak's mouth. The test wasn't just for Abraham, it's for Yitchak too. And Yitchak's like, I'd go all the way. I mean, he, he made it up, it came out of his mouth. And Yahweh has sitting there going, Okay, all right, well, let's find out. And of course, in the writings of Abraham, uh Hasatan is listening to this too, and he actually goes up and he presents the case and going goes like I think we need to off him, you know, because I, I don't think Abraham can go through with it. I don't think Yitzhak can go through with it, and uh, I think you got you got the wrong. You're you're investing in the wrong dudes. After these events, uh, Alahayam tried Abraham, getting back to the the paleo, and said to him, Abraham, and he replied, I'm here. Then he said, Take your son, your peculiar one, whom you love, Yitzhak, and go to the land of vision. That, that's a great line there, the land of vision. And offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the hills, which I will point out to you. When Abraham awoke in the morning, he saddled his ass and took two youths along with him. Now, we, we find that these two youths, according to, or it, uh, my cousin Vinny would be my two youths. Uh, these, two, these two youths were uh, Yishmael and Eliezer. It's interesting that he calls them use because, I mean, 
Yitchak is 37 years old and uh, Yishmael is, I don't know how much older, 10 years older or something like that. You know, so he's like in his forties and yet he's considered a youth uh, compared to Abraham. Kind of interesting. Uh, and Yitchak, he took Yitchak, his son, and split up wood for a sacrifice. And they rose and went up to the place where Allahiam had told him on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the spot some distance off. Abraham said to his attendants, stay here by yourselves with the ass and the lad and I will go and bow down, do homage and we'll then return to you. Now, this story, this is one of those like, you know, if I do this again next year, maybe I'll spend more time on this uh, because in Jasher, it's, it's a long extended story of them going on this journey and Hasatan is doing everything he can to to stop it from happening and uh you know he he creates floodwaters he you know he he brings like an old man and he comes in the form of an old man he comes in all these different forms and any normal person would be dissuaded by this but abraham's like there's something wrong i can't put my finger on this but there's something wrong about this we need to keep pushing forward like we're being tested here and the reason i want to spend more time on that in the future is because I have found, we've talked a lot about baptism here, and a lot of people, they come into this community, they're not baptized. And they come and they they call me up on the phone or whatever, they're like, I need to get baptized. And I'm like, okay, let, let's make it happen. And in many of these cases, I have found, and more, more often than not, it doesn't happen because something comes up. Something just bizarre happens to them, and they're like, Oh, I need to put it off. I, I need to put it off. I, I, and it's like th they don't recognize that that obstacle in the way might be, you know, the powers of darkness <coughs> throwing themselves out there in front of them and trying to stop them from performing this deed. All right. Anyways, getting back to this. Abraham accordingly took the wood for the sacrifice and placed it upon Yitchak, his son, and took in his own hand the fire and the knife, and the two went together. Yitchak then said to Abraham, his father, my father. And he replied, I'm here, my son. There is fire and wood, he said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Allah, which is interesting that <coughs> uh, he says this, that you know that when we read Jasher, it was his idea to begin with, right? And he's asking, where's, where's, where's the offering? Allah Hayam answered Abraham, will provide a lamb of himself for a burnt offering, my son. So it's interesting that uh, Pamela put there, will provide a lamb of himself, and she capitalized himself, if you notice that, for a burnt offering, my son. So they went on together. When they came to the place that Allah Hayam commanded him, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood and built and bound Yitzhak his son and laid him upon the altar upon the top of the wood. Then Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But Malak Yahuwaha. So again, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I'm not always sure how I should feel about this because again, we have a messenger, um, the messenger of Yahuwaha. Um, I don't know how Pamela would feel, but I mean, I take this mean an angel of Yahuwaha. Uh, uh, the ever-living called to him from Hashamayim, from heaven, the place of the names, and said to him, Abraham, Abraham. And he replied, I am here. 
Stretch not your hand against the young man, he said, nor do to him what you intended. For now I know that you reverence Allah and would not withhold from me your son, your special one. According to uh, rabbinical uh, traditions, Yitzhak, uh, he saw such glory up in heaven that his uh, it kind of blinded him and his vision wasn't good. And then we get into the eventual Yaakov and Esau story where he was kind of, you know, Yitch, uh, Yaakov dressed up like his hairy brother, right? And he was kind of blinded. He couldn't see. He had to touch his arm. But the idea is, is that it came from this scene. Also, for those of you, the few of you who actually happen to watch uh, the beginnings of my research on doppelganger, something I'm really interested in, and just you know where I'm going with this, um, this idea that there is this for, I don't believe for all of us necessarily, I don't really know, but for very specific people in scripture, and we're talking like, you know, people like Abraham and Noah and these, these people who, you know, these divine interventions throughout history, that they appear to have like this celestial doppelganger in the heavens. And I don't know what to make of all that, but this is one of the scenes I talked about where Yitchak uh, looked to the angel and he um, saw that the angel looked just like his father, uh, Abraham, that he had a doppelganger. And uh, one of the ways I'm, I think I might be going with this is there's some great research out there. Uh, Parable of the Vineyard did it a few years back. I remember I watched it. It was, it was pretty well done on the idea that um, the stars in the heavens are actually reflections of us, of the, the divine on the earth as a reflection of the heavens. And that this is one of the ways it actually fits in with my ideas that the stars come and go, right? That the stars could be gone because there's no righteous on the earth. And, and then maybe they're there at other times. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah. So let's keep looking here. <clears throat> uh, let's see. What did I read? I got so excited. I always forget what I read. Anyways, he said, he said, uh, this angel, um, He's saying, do, uh, nor do to him what you intended, for now I know you reverence Allah Hayyam and would not withhold from me your son, your special one. Abraham then looked up and saw a goat caught in a bush by its horns. So Abraham went and took the goat and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham therefore called the name of the place Yahuaha Yeraaha, or Yahuaha he will provide. Then Malak Yahuwaha, the messenger Yahuwaha, the ever-living, called again to Abraham from the heavens and said to him, I promise, Yahuwaha declares, that because you have done this thing and not held back your special son, that when I barak uh, or bless, I will barak you. And when, when increasing, I will increase your race as the stars of the skies and like the sand upon the seashore. And your race shall possess the gates of its enemies and I will benefit all the nations of the earth through your heir, because you have listened to my voice. Abraham afterwards returned to his attendants, and they rose up and went back to the well of the oath. I think, yeah, this is the last paragraph here for our portions tonight. After these events, a message was delivered to Abraham. Your sister, Malakaha, has given birth to children, to uh, Nacor, your brother, and you... Uh, a. Uats and his brother Beuaz and Kuma Uaal, the father of Aram and Kashad and Hazawa 
and Faladash and Yadalaf and Brathiwal and Bathiwal has produced Rabakuha. These eight Malakaha has born to Nakor, your brother, and his second woman, whose name is Ra'ayuamaha. She also has given birth to Tabak and Gakam and Thukash and Mayakaha. That concludes the Torah reading. Interesting here, the thing that I was reminded of as I was reading this earlier this week was that this is like the Book of Job in reverse. It's like a country song in reverse. Because remember that Job, he, uh, he gets the message that, you know, such and such has died and then this bad thing has happened and your house was destroyed and, you know, all your cattle was robbed and, and stuff. And so with this here, Abraham, he's coming down the mountain and he's just, these messengers are coming and going, guess what? Your, your family is just exponentially growing, like overnight, like all these babies have been born. And just a sign of, you know, the blessing that's going to be coming through Abraham. Of course, it takes a tragic turn of events. We'll get that. Um, we'll get to that next week. And um, yeah, so thank you, everybody, for listening in. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope I gave some, um, you know, I hope you guys are Brock through that, blessed. Um, I hope I gave some good information that you guys can think about, uh, maybe something you've never heard before. And uh, we'll do this again next week. And just a reminder for everyone listening in throughout the week that I make time on my Discord channel. I have links under every uh, under every video for my Discord channel. I make time Friday night before I go live here. So from 7 to 9 o'clock Eastern time. I'm on Central time now, so it would be 6 to 8 o'clock my time. But uh, I go in there and just talk with you guys and you guys can talk about whatever you want to talk about. I'll listen or converse or answer questions, whatever. And I want to make that time for you guys. Thank you all for coming and participating. Once again, for those of you who have made it this far, you can get this text. This is this is one of the ways you can help Pamela with the translation process by purchasing it yourself. And um, you guys can see there was some, um, you know, little, you know, little errors here and there, just like little editorial things. And, and she is, she's going back through, she is, you know, editing, we're editing it, we're changing it. And if you purchase a copy, you know, we're going to get you, when it's revised and so on, you, you get another download, right? You don't have to buy multiple copies. So anyways, uh, it's about two hours. Uh, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Hope you guys get a lot of rest. I know I need a lot of rest. I need to rest my voice. And uh, I'll see you guys, um, see you guys around. We'll do this next week. Good night, everyone.